Open your Bibles to 3 John. It's my hope and prayer this morning that God's Word would challenge and stimulate you to greater involvement in your global outreach efforts, and that some of the very practical things that I share that you will personally get involved with, that this will become a part of your life, a part of your family, a part of what you breathe as a believer, that you would support our faithful workers in other cultures this way. The passage we'll study is given to us by the pen of Apostle John through the Holy Spirit for exactly that purpose. At the close of the first century and the beginning of the 21st century, John gives us a vision for the local church's ownership of missions. So let's look at this one chapter, postcard epistle, 3 John, toward the end of our New Testament, and read verses 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So let's take a scan of this passage. I'm not going to go as deep as maybe you usually do in breaking all the little integral parts out, but I want to at least give you some uh, more insight into the words that are here for us and think through the elements of John's vision for the local church's ownership of missions. He says, beloved, this is a, a sweet term that shows that there was an already established relationship with the, the guy that John is writing to, Gaius, who's named at the beginning. So there was this really good working relationship, if you will, and he says, Beloved, it's a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified of your love before the church. So we see a dynamic taking place of this inter-church relationship of reporting back and forth between those who were going out and the church that was sending them. And apparently Apostle John had this kind of relationship with Gaius's church, right? So he's saying these guys have reported that you're, you're doing a faithful job in your relationship with them and how you relate to them and support them. That's a good thing. It's a double check. Our churches are similar. Faith Bible Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia has a relationship with you guys now. It's awesome. It's fantastic. We share common interest in common workers on a common field. And we trust that we can be of encouragement and, and just even information flow of how that works. May your church and our church have this kind of commendation, that, it, that we're being faithful in doing what we're doing to see that work accomplished through our international workers around the world. He says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Now that send them on their journey phrase in our English translation is actually just one word. It's propempo. It's the word chosen for our organization. It is a purpose of the church to propempo, to send them on, on their journey, to send them fully equipped to do the job, the ministry that they're intending to do. And we'll look at propempo in a little bit. 
but to send them in a manner worthy of God. How good is that? That's like your best, right? To do it because God is watching and you're doing it in his name. Whatever you do for these workers, you're giving your best. There's many illustrations from older missionaries, even older than me, if that's possible, who get hand-me-downs sent to the mission field because people think, well, they, they need something. We'll give them something, right? The idea about sending used tea bags because they can squeeze another cup of tea out of it. And uh, let me just say, that's not a good practice. Send them in, on a manner worthy of God means nothing less than your best. That's what Aiken says in the New American Commentary. There's other things that we see worthy of God, worthy of the Lord, worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4.1 says that we need to act worthy of our calling. Colossians 1.10, we need to be worthy of the Lord in every respect. It's Paul's prayer at the beginning of Colossians. It's great. He's praying that they would be worthy of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, worthy of God. Again, a statement of an aspiration to their testimony and character. 2 Corinthians 1.5, worthy of God again. And in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, worthy of his calling. So we have this expectation that with God's investment of grace in our lives, we ought to aspire to a level of excellence in what we do in our character, and in this case, in our passage in 3 John, excellence in our performance, if you will, in how we support and take care of those that are from our midst that are going out for the sake of the name. For they have gone out for the sake of the name. This sake of the name is not used so often in the New Testament. It's used in Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Right? So it's that name. And it's a reflection of a of a theme through the whole Old Testament that people believed on the name of God means all of his character, all of his attributes, all of his holiness, that when they believe in the name of God, they're, they're taking the whole person of God and casting their faith on him, and that's the same kind of reflection we get here from John, raised as a Jewish convert, if you will. For the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, the accepting nothing from the Gentiles is, needs a little explanation. Why, why would he say that? Well, in that time, so this is western Turkey where these guys live now, where the church is that John is addressing, where John was exiled from. This area was known for Greek teachers. Teachers who would go around and they would ask for money to get their particular secret on all kinds of things, right? So no matter what their secret was, you had to pay money to the teacher to get it. I was musing on this this morning. I was praying about the message. And I think, well, what is the, what is the 21st century you know, equivalent of that? Who does that? Well, uh, radio and TV preachers do that, like send me money. In fact, pretty much every Christian ministry good or bad, needs money from supporters to exist. But this is different. This is saying accepting nothing from the Gentiles. What's that, what's that is about? Um, anyone that 
wants to sell you stuff like the people who are going around asking for money for their particular secret knowledge or secret product would do great as marketers on television today. Like, you have no idea how much stuff you need until you see all the commercials. And then you get it, and especially around special holidays, right? You, you get toward Christmas time, and your ki- the commercials are geared to the kids. They see things that they didn't even know exist that now are essential in their life. At least that's what the commercials try to convince them of. That's the kind of thing that was going on in the Greek world, without television, obviously, but there you go. It's those people who are sort of peddling their stuff by saying, you come to my class, you buy my product, you do this thing, this teaching, that thing will make your life better somehow, and you pay me money for it. The gospel isn't like that, folks. And that's the emphasis here of John and these workers by this time, toward the end of the first century, from the time that Christ rose into heaven, ascended into heaven, until now, it's roughly 60 years or so. And the point is that the gospel is free. You want to freely offer it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't pay money for it. You can't earn it by achieving a certain character or check mark of legalism. You can't just do things in order to be saved. In fact, we are so privileged that we are able to proclaim the gospel of grace freely, no charge. If God opens your heart to repent and believe, you can receive this free gift of salvation. Amazing. It's free. But in order to do it, the proclaimers needed financial support. But in in order to offer it freely, accepting nothing from their audience, as it were, their target population, they needed some financial support. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. Now, the term support is a neat illustration. It's, it's kind of to get up under. It's like put your shoulder to it. Get up under it and support it from underneath and give them everything that they need to support them. It's not just finances. It's other things. I'll touch on that in the practical section, but it's other things as well. They need a lot of encouragement and support. Now, that means that we need to be creative in thinking about how does that work for the people that are our people that are going out. What kinds of support, what categories, and in what practical ways might we do this? It's not just our money. It is our money. Don't stop giving, by the way. You know, keep doing that. But it's more than our money, and it's more than the default setting of, you know, money and prayer. Money and prayer, sometimes that's the only categories we think in. I think John is saying we get up under them and take up and sort of carry them along. So even though we can't go with them, we shadow them with our support. We're in their backpack. We are going along with them vicariously through them to do this special work that God's called them to in proclaiming the gospel freely to people who've never heard. Let me just pause and talk about unreached people and what that means. You've probably heard it, but I want to make sure that you get it. I get this a lot. People come to me and say, well, what are you talking about unreached people groups? Like, my neighbor's unreached, my classmate's unreached, my co-worker's unreached, the guy that fixes my car is unreached. 
what you mean by that, bro, is that they haven't trusted Christ yet. Yeah? But I'm telling you, they're not unreached. You know why? They all know you. You're within arm's length of them. They all know they have access to the gospel. The point is not a condition of salvation or not salvation. That's all over the world. It's true. And people who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are unsaved and heading for a very hot destiny. But there are people that have access to the gospel. On my way here, I drove past Walmart. I didn't expect that somehow in Fullerton. I don't know. You guys have Walmart here too. Wow. <laughs> there's Bibles in Walmart. Now, there's also junky Christian literature in Walmart, but there's Bibles in Walmart. You have Christian radio here. Canada didn't have Christian radio until just about, what, 10, 15 years ago. It was illegal to have Christian radio in Canada. But now they have it. But there's access to driving past churches that actually preach the gospel. There's access to Christians that live in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are. There's access to the gospel. But I'm talking about people that don't have access to the gospel, not reasonable access to the gospel. They've never met a Christian before. They've never had a Bible in their hands before or even a portion of the Bible in their hands before. They've never seen it on the radio. There was one country that we work in uh, or have had workers in and mentored people in that actually the, the internet um, cable that comes in to their country that supplies internet to the rest of the world for their country is managed by the government. That means that the government can throttle and stop any kind of news that is negative about their country from hitting the international scene. Pretty cool. If you had that power, you'd probably use it too. It also means that they can cut off any Christian websites. So you think you have Google, you, that you're omniscient all of a sudden? Uh-uh. No. It doesn't work that way. There are powers in this world that are able to throttle that stuff down and suppress it and keep it out such that people can't even find it if they wanted to. We need to support people like this. We need to go to those unreached people to take the gospel. The personal ambassador of the gospel, sharing by their life, by their witness, by literature, by whatever means the Lord allows them to have. And you realize that part of the program then, which we read in scripture reading earlier today, is Romans 10. In order to hear, they need to have someone be sent, a preacher that will send them, and people believe they have faith by the word of Christ, coming in contact with the word of God. Verbal proclamation, personal proclamation, actual written proclamation of the word. So we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. This fellow workers is a cool word. It, it means together energy or working together, co-laboring, if you will, to go along with them. So this co-labor is a shadow to this supporting them in every way. It's we're, we're going along with them. In our hearts, in our prayers, in our mind, we're going along with them. We want to learn what we can from them. So you guys hold your workers accountable to make sure that they pass the news along so that you can be properly informed and you can be going along with them 
in some details of life and work and ministry and what's going on there in their part of the world. That's fellow workers doing it together. We become fellow workers for the truth. There's this partnership. So the really cool thing is you don't have to suffer all the sacrifices that are being made to bring the gospel to that part of the world. But you get to be partakers in the fruit of that. Isn't that cool? Now, here's the deal. If they didn't go, somebody else here would have to. And so they're doing it on your behalf. You are accomplishing it as fellow worker in the truth vicariously through them. You have an investment in them that's way beyond the cash and into how they live life. So those of you that are married, pray for your marriage and pray for their marriage. Those of you that have kids, pray for your kids and pray for their kids. Those of you that are um, maybe less inclined to be bold about sharing the gospel, pray for yourself to have boldness and pray for them to have boldness. You know what I mean? It's whatever you face, whatever you do, pray that for them. Give to them as if it was you. And you will be fellow workers in the truth, for the truth. You will get some of the reward as well. So when there is fruit, by God's grace, we'll see that in time to come. Where there is fruit, you share in it. Praise God. You should be doing a happy dance when that happens, right? Because you had a part in that. You do have a part in that actively, continuing on. So here are the elements synthesized for you. You ready? You note takers. Number one, supply them with faithful, loving hospitality. That's the description that takes place in the earlier part of this passage. Supply them with faithful, loving hospitality. Be lavish in your generosity in their hospitality. The workers that you have right now that are going out don't have a place to live. They're going to need some transition, and I hope it's not under the bridge, right? They need, they need stuff to help them as they move along the way. Supply them with faithful, loving hospitality. Secondly, send them in a manner worthy of God. We already talked about the excellence level of that. Sending them well. They should know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you love them, you care for them, and you're going to do whatever you may, by God's grace, to help support them in every way, to enable them to be free of care for their support. They can focus their energy and intensity on all the language and culture learning, which is not easy, and getting into acculturation so that they can proclaim the gospel in the language of the people. I would say languages nowadays. So our kids that are in that zone of the world are working on their fifth language. I'm not counting English, although I would still work on English myself, but just their fifth language. Language learning isn't like the old days, you know, where a missionary worker went to a foreign field and learned that language and bang, that's it. Now it's different dialects and the target language is different than the majority language and all of that. So pray for them. Send them in a manner worthy of God. 
and support them as fellow workers of the truth. So supply them, send them, support them as fellow workers for the truth. I want to tell you a little bit about the, the core word here is to send them in a manner worthy of the Lord is the propempo word. I want you to see its development in the New Testament. So this is going to be a rapid little Bible study, but use your Bibles and follow along with me. It's always used, I say, in the context of advancing the gospel, but it changes in scope from its first uses in the New Testament, and we'll just follow the canonical um, sweep from Acts through to 3 John. It narrows in focus from a general sort of sending out or sending before to very specifically sending out workers proclaiming the truth, right? And that's the people that we call missionaries. Acts 15, chapter 3. Paul and Barnabas have gone on their first missionary journey, and there was some consternation among the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem that this new thing happening on a broader scale of Gentiles coming to faith in Christ needed to be checked. Like, we need to figure out what this is about. We've always understood from a Jewish context, the way they were raised, that in order to really have a relationship with God, you needed to follow all these Old Testament regulations. What about that? So they called a council. It's really the first Christian council. And they asked them to come to Jerusalem along with other witnesses and leaders of the whole church to determine what are we going to do with this. And Paul and Barnabas leave. They're appointed by the church. And it says in verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, that being sent on their way is the propempo word. They're being sent forward. They're being sent ahead. They're being sent with authority. They're being sent with a message. In uh, secular literature of the day, it could, be sent, it could be used for an ambassador. It could be used by someone who was sent on behalf of one army to negotiate peace with the other army. So there's a message and there's authority involved in that, representing the authority that's behind it. And this is them. Paul and Barnabas being sent on their way. They were being propempoed by the church. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. So they're describing how the Gentiles are being saved. And it's like, dude, this is really obvious. We preach the message, and they got saved just like the Jewish people did. And they didn't have to do all the laws. Isn't that cool? Jewish people can now eat bacon. It's wonderful. So they go on behalf of spreading the gospel to this council. Acts 20, verse 38. This is after Paul's wonderful address to the elders in the church in Ephesus. They uh, were sorrowful, verse 38, Acts 20, 38. Being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So the propempel word here is they accompanied him to the ship. I love that because it, it's translated as they, they kind of went along with him. Not only did they send him, not only did they give him a sack lunch for the journey on the boat, right? They accompanied him to ship. They, they went along with him, and it's used that way a couple of times. You guys, as you send people out, are going along with them. You're going along with them. Now, you may just you know, put them on a large jumbo jet, and they fly somewhere else, but you're going along with them. These guys went here. Acts 21.5, Paul's continuing his rounds of churches and church leaders going back to Judea, bringing uh, famine relief to the Christians there. And 
It says, verse 21, or verse 5 of chapter 21, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. So they all accompanied them. That's the propempo word, that whole thing. Propempo, they propempoed him. They accompanied him. They went along with, they equipped him. They prayed with him. Um, I like that the kids are involved too. So involve your kids in it. One of the best things you can do for your kids is to get them acquainted with missionaries. It just is. Not only do they understand something about other cultures that way, but they realize that missionaries are just real people. They're not like super saints. They're just real people. They put their feet under your table. They eat with you. They, they tell their stories of what God is doing and God's grace being multiplied out around the world. It's wonderful. Read them missionary biographies. Find some small kid-sized missionary biographies and read it to them as part of family devotions. Let them be a part of accompanying them, propempoing them, sending them on their way. 1 Corinthians 16, 6. <clears throat> Paul's writing the church uh, in his closing remarks here in the first letter to the Corinthians. Perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Now his journey at that point, his plans were not clear, maybe undecided at that point, but this help me on my journey is the propempo word. And that's what we're moving to. You see, as the scope of this word narrows from being sort of generic, it gets more and more focused on sending individuals for specific tasks. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. He says again, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia. Apparently there were a couple of misfires on his plans for visiting them. And to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Now, one of the questions this begs is, why Macedonia? Well, that's where the church in Philippians, the Philippine, how do I say that? The church in Philippi, the Philippian church was. And they supported him quite regularly and sent people back and forth to him to check up on him. Just read Philippians, it's in there. And this is what he wants. He's close enough to the church in Corinth to come down. So we took advantage of this situation. I was going to be at the TMAI Day and Shepherds Conference this year. And I don't know, way back when, months ago, we sorted it out that maybe I could visit your church. Let's play connect the dots on the map. I'm close enough. I mean... L.A., Fullerton, that's not too far. Traffic is still bad. But it's doable, right? That's close enough, so that's, that's what we've done even today. We've done the same thing, to have, have you send me on my way. Romans chapter 15, 24, this is a really remarkable one. We're jumping into the middle of a context in which Paul is writing the church in Rome to ask this question in verse 24 of chapter 15. It's a fantastic display of salvation from chapter 1 all the way through. It's amazing in its soteriological depth. It's fantastic. Book of Romans is always the classic place to go if you want to understand salvation. But he says here in verse 15, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, he says earlier that 
he has seen that the gospel has spread basically all around the Mediterranean from Palestine all the way around the eastern side, which is Turkey, and into Greece, and then beginning to be in the Balkan states. And then Italy is the next as you make the round. And there's already a church there in Rome. So he says, I want to be refreshed in fellowship with you guys, but I don't really need to hang around because what I do, man, is church planting. That's what I do. I proclaim the gospel and see churches planted. And the next place that doesn't have that is on to the west, which is the area called Spain. Really, it's the whole Iberian Peninsula. It's that whole thing. And Paul says, I want to go there because the gospel hasn't gone there yet. It's my ambition to take it where it has not been named before. And so I want you to help me on my journey. I want you to propempo me there. In this context, the larger context of this verse, it not only means give me the funds to accomplish the task, it not only means sort of go with me in fellowship and prayer, but it, I think it means also like send some teammates along with me. Who knows who among you here this morning might end up on the other side of the world helping this task? That's what Paul was asking. Paul was saying, I want you to help me on my way, which maybe in, involves convoying along, being part of the team. Titus 3.13. In personal remarks toward the end of Titus, as Paul often does, he says, do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. So that speed them on their way is the propempo word again, and see that they lack nothing is sort of an expansion of do this in a manner worthy of God, right? It's like see that they lack nothing, whatever it takes for them to go, whether it's transportation or language studies or enough funds to have a house and a place to sit and maybe a refrigerator and internet and cell phone, whatever. In the 21st century, that's see that they lack nothing. Another notable thing, little total side remark, this is totally the Mead version. This is the only positive statement made about lawyers. Just wanted you know. Then we get to 3 John, verse 6, and here's the, the narrow focus now of the end of how this is determined. For 60 years, as the gospel has gone forward from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world, including now plans for Spain, plans for the Balkans that's going on, Apostle John says, these testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So it becomes not only narrower in its focus, we're talking about sending missionary workers. It also is more a higher bar of excellence in send them on in the manner worthy of God. Doing whatever it takes, finding out whatever it takes. So reviewing these high points again, and then to practical, supply them with faithful, loving hospitality, send them in a manner worthy of God, and support them as fellow workers for the truth. How do we make it practical? I'm going to give you 10 areas. Um, the first six are written in a book called Serving as Senders by a friend of mine, Neil Parolo. He lives in San Diego area, really close here. And uh, his original book was probably published 30 years ago or so. And it's in its uh, different second version. 
and it has these six things, and I add four other ones. So you ready for this? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you go, okay, how do we do this third John, send them in a manner worthy of God's stuff? Number one, moral support. They just need encouragement. I remember on the field getting uh, a random package. It wasn't because of Christmas. It wasn't because of birthday. We just got a random package for some friends who were supporting us in this way. And included in there was a couple of older copies of, like, Women's Day magazine. For my wife, obviously. (laughs) But it was just an encouragement. Hey, let's see what's out there. We didn't have that. You know, when we were there... There was not internet. There was not cell phones. If we wanted to make an international call, we had to travel 30 miles away to the nearest government-operated phone office and make an appointment to get into a tiny little booth and have somebody dial the number for us and, and, and ring it up. And at that point, it probably could have been about $10 a minute. So short phone calls, if at all. We just didn't do that. Email, non-existent. Moral support, they just need encouragement. They also included some finishing nails. I don't know why. Extra trip to Lowe's, or maybe he didn't, a little box of finishing nails. Totally useless, by the way, in cement block walls, but it was a nice thought. They also included grits. Golden, golden gift. Grits. We could not get grits in the Philippines. And there's a whole other story about Liz and grits that you have to learn someday, but Grits, it was awesome. We waited until we could go all the way down to Manila and get real bacon to go with eggs and grits. It was like, you know, Married Supper of the Lamb introduction or something. It was was good home food. Second, logistics support. Logistics support, what does that mean? I already told you, during transition time, from training time to going to the field, your family's going to need some people like that, right? You're going to need logistics. How do you house them? What kind of transportation? Um, as they go then, things are going to change. They need logistics support on the field. Make sure that they have an adequate phone. These days, smartphones, you know, there's like you don't do standard phone unless there's a really good reason. There are some security reasons, but just for your personal use, you need to be on all the time. So WhatsApp, you got to learn how to do that. That's part of logistics and technical support. We'll get to that later. Financial support, that's obvious. I'm not going to belabor that. It costs a lot to pipe the gospel to other countries that don't have it. It just does. The gospel's free itself, but it takes money to get workers there to proclaim it. Prayer support, all kinds of prayer support. There's a lot of neat um, resources on our propempo.com website, but also out there on the web of different ways to pray through the life of your missionary in a week or a month. And you can pick up on those things and pray for them that way. Communication support. They need support with communication. That's not just phone, but probably computer. And exactly what to use that is properly secure. How to do that. How to Skype with them or not. How to use um, encrypted support communication. Re-entry support. That's when they come back home. Presumably for a short time. But ultimately... Missionaries may have to leave the field for long-term or permanent. They need help resettling. Every time you go away for an extended amount of time and you come back home, you're faced with a different culture than you left. Things are changing at such a fast pace. People come back home and they go, oh, man, out on a field, we had a choice of three kinds of cereal. 
Two of them were not good. And here, I'm in the cereal aisle crying because there are 150 types, and I don't even know what's healthy. But reentry support, helping them in whatever way they're needing transportation, cell phones. They may need references for pediatrics, for car repair, for whatever. You can help them with that. I add these other four, all right? Number seven is children's education. This is a really big deal on the field. How are we going to educate our kids? How are we going to educate our kids in a different culture and language? So our grandkids are in a situation where they're going to preschool, right? So they're hearing lessons in French. They're hearing lessons in the, the standard language. They're hearing le lessons in the dialect. And then they go home and they speak English. So literally, Liz speaks to her kids in English, and Chris speaks to his kids, same kids. <laughs> that came out weird. But they're kids um, in, this, in the uh, dialect so that they can get it better. And thankfully, little four-year-old going to be five-year-old in a couple months, oldest child, he's getting it. He, like, just, he, he gets it. I think it's sick because I don't learn languages that fast. But it's amazing. They're, they're learning these languages. Um, and, and that's also my... Uh, kick in the pants for any worker, adult worker, that's trying to learn language and say, man, I just can't learn it. It's too hard. And I say, man, your two-year-old's learning it. You can learn it. You just have to be like a two-year-old. And that's absolutely true. You have to totally set aside whatever pride you may have in being an adult and just be humble like a kid. If you get down on the floor and you start talking with kids and just building your vocabulary and your structure and figuring it out, you'll, you'll do okay. Children's education is a really big deal. How do we educate them in such a way that they're educated well enough to sort of compete as they get older with their American peers and yet be totally involved and enculturated in the language and schools that are available there? And what schools? There's a wide variety. Is, it, is homeschool the default? Let me tell you, homeschool can remove people from things, so it's not automatic. And every child may be a little bit different. Their, their ability to learn, their learning style, every child. So children's education is important. I'll just tell you this one little story. Um, our church is really good at homeschool stuff. And we're supporting a family in East Asia that really needed help. So our people just kind of came around them and said, we're going to do everything for you for homeschool. So we're going to walk you through. You have a discussion with us. We're going to supply all your curriculum. We're going to get it to you. We're going to make sure your kids get all the stuff done. And now their kids have progressed through all of these years, and all of them have graduated from high school, homeschool, through our church, basically kind of providing all the means for doing it, and including Skype calls to fine-tune with mom how it's all going. And they're crazy bright kids. The oldest one is finishing her PhD as we speak. So... It works. I mean, you just have to find what is the right style. All of the kids totally fluent in their language in their East Asia country. Security and contingency. This is a big deal. We could go a lot farther on that. I'm not going to do that. For those of you who want to hang around for the lunch meeting later, maybe we'll get into that a little bit more. But security and contingency, that's a big deal. Technology. Um, often, 
uh, people who feel called to go into missions are not technology guys. They don't have the little cap with the propeller on top. They just didn't ever get that. I, I accuse my seminary grad friends of not being able to operate a screwdriver. It's true. I mean, they're, they're brilliant in original languages, and they're pretty stupid when it comes to hand tools. And so I've been teaching for 20 years, my senior pastor, how to use tools. I, every time he turned, hey, David, what do I do about this project? What about that fix it? And the other, I'm like, man, you need to learn how to do that. So buy this tool and I'll come teach you. I have like a private tutoring for him. Anyway, a technology is similar, different than just the tools thing, but what, what's the best software? They're gonna get recommendations from the missionary community at large, but they need support from you guys to help figure that stuff out. In one case, a member of our church traveled to Europe to bring a hard drive to replace the one that got fried in somebody's computer and install it because the only resources they had with very minimal language at the time weren't really being very helpful and they didn't want them to have access to all the encrypted stuff that might be on it, right? So security and technology together. The 10th one is field visits and short-term missions, teams, or projects. So in the kinds of countries we're talking about, high security countries, places where um, the, the expansive view of what your work and life is there, what your purpose is there, is really narrow. So you have to think about how to do this. You don't do regular short-term mission stuff. You just don't arrive with a bunch of people on the streets passing out literature unless you want your stay to be very, very, very short. Like you'll be spending the night in the airport on the next plane out to someplace you don't even know. Like you'll be out. But field visits, pastoral visits, that's very important. I've already talked to the elders about this. Basically every new worker family arriving on the field hits the wall at six months. So I highly recommend that somebody go visit them and put their arm around them at six months and tell them it's gonna be okay. Hang in there. God is worth it. And God is fully capable of keeping you in here. So just hang in there. You'll make it. At six months, here's what happens. All the fun part has worn off. You're dealing with uh, groceries and food choices and limited sort of things different than what it is at home. And you have to do all the work yourself. You don't have all the automated tools that you have at home. And you're trying to learn a language and you're convinced at six months you'll never learn it. Because right? you've been working hard and investing in it. And then after six months, what happens? Well, you have to stay, for one thing, but you stay working on it. And eventually God does show up. And if you have someone from your church visiting your worker at six months stage, they're going to be more likely to be encouraged and know that this whole group, this, everybody in the room, is behind them in and seeing God at work through their prayers, sharing partakers in the truth with them as they march through to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. At the close of the first century and beginning of the 21st century, John gives us a vision for the local church's ownership of missions. In this little passage, he talks about supplying them with faithful, loving hospitality sending them in a manner worthy of God and supporting them as fellow workers for the truth. By God's grace, let's do this together. Let's pray.
Lord, it's our joy to come to a place where you are loved and honored and glorified and that this body has the vision to actually send out some of their own to go and take the gospel where it has not been proclaimed. We ask that you would strengthen every one of us to do our part to see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ bear fruit among your chosen ones from that people group. And together we'll rejoice in sharing the fruit as partakers in the truth with them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.